Hey, Mike. Hi, Caleb. How are you doing? I'm doing well tonight. How are you? I'm doing quite well. What are you drinking? I'm drinking a new drink, uh, both to me and the show. Uh, it's called the Algonquin. Algonquin? What's it that? It's from the PDT book. It uh-huh. is uh, pineapple juice, rye, and dry vermouth. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I would not put it in my top 10 drinks. No? Uh, no, not yet. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I use the uh, canned Dole. I mean, oh, that makes a big difference, yeah. don't really have a way to make fresh pineapple juice uh, that easily here, so <laughs> uh, I think it, it tastes a little bit, a uh, little thin, but uh, it's, still, it's still good. Yeah, yeah. I, maybe one of those new Juiceros. <laughs> uh, that's a whole different podcast. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking a Remember the Main. Oh. Yeah, it's a, it's a pretty good one. It's a rye, sweet vermouth, some cherry herring, um, and then a splash of Pernod, which gives it a nice little herbal complexity. What is Pernod? What kind of, uh, uh, it's a French, uh, it's like absinthe. It's, uh, Mm. like neon green French, uh, kind of anise, Mm. um, beverage. One of those like, uh, herbal licorice type, uh, liqueurs. Cool. So yeah, tonight I thought we could, um, talk about, uh, a recent addition to the Tesla autopilot team, uh, Chris Latner, um, who comes courtesy of, uh, formerly working at Apple and also some of the recent changes that have been happening with autopilot. Uh, you know, a lot of listeners have been asking for autopilot uh, related episodes. I know it's one of your favorite topics in the Tesla universe. <laughs> you might be able to say that, yeah. And uh, I just did. And we <laughs> we have the hardware two cars now starting to get their first uh, taste of autopilot uh, from the many months of, of waiting. So I thought we could give a little update of where we're at with Autopilot uh, as it is in January 2017. Um, I feel like if this was a a news program or something, we'd have some fancy graphics that come on whenever we talk about Autopilot. That would be like, Autopilot, do-do-do-do, steps to the future. It's definitely one of the most popular topics of the the folks who listen, uh, sending us emails and commenting. So I'm going to go with driving to the future. Okay, there we go. So Riding to the future? All right, we'll work on that. Back to the future. Yeah. Oh, nice. Back to the future. Might be hard to get the rights for that, though. That might be challenging. Um, So as a quick recap, if we have any new new listeners, new fans, I think it is, after looking at the dates again, I found it quite um, coincidental and actually not coincidental, uh, some of the release (laughs) dates. So that'll make more sense in a second. So hardware uh, autopilot was announced in October of 2014, uh, at a, it was sort of the footnote of a dual motor event when Tesla unveiled the dual motors. Um, That's that the, was the D. That was the D, like the P90D. Correct. Okay. Yes, there was a, a, a bunch of little tee-hee-hee jokes around Elon saying, uh, "Wait for the D" or something on Twitter. Um, so he, they announced that since the very end of September, they had been shipping. Uh, what what we'll now call Hardware One Autopilot on cars, and uh, that there'd be this new feature called Autopilot that would drive the car for you. And everyone got really excited, and, and the cars had the sensors on them. But it wasn't for a whole year until October 2015 and Software Update 7.0 that Autopilot actually released to customers. So there was an entire year when people were buying cars that had hardware that they knew would allow them to have what was known as autopilot that was promised to sort of help you drive on the highways. And they had to wait a year before the software was able to do anything. 
So just, I mean, that's important to keep in mind that people were waiting that long. So a reminder, the Hardware One had the forward radar, uh, the forward-looking camera, um, and uh, some software from Mobileye to help with the camera-related stuff, and then 12, rain, 12 ultrasonic sensors around the vehicle. And then uh, a year later, October 19th, 2016, uh, a few months previous to when we record, they announced Hardware Two which is the hardware suite that Tesla imagines will get them all the way to full autonomy, where the car can fully drive itself without a person inside of it. So and this that, is the post-mobile world, Correct, right? yes. Okay. This is Tesla doing all the hardware and all the software in-house. And that has the eight cameras, so up from one camera. It has the forward radar, but it's better. And it has the 12 ultrasonics around the car, but those are also longer range, and the GPS is better, and the... Uh, internal motion detection unit is stronger and all these things are improved. Uh, Elon on Twitter said there are over 300 changes um, that would be required if they were to try and fix or retrofit old cars, which they can't do. Um, so sort of a lot of activity in October for autopilot. So 2014, the first hardware was added to cars. A year later, the software came out for that set of cars. And then a year after that, the new hardware was released. Um, so I, I just sort of point that out to sort of um, remind folks that this is, we're sort of two years in um, and a little over two years now, and um, we've got uh, quite a lot happening and that the software now for Hardware 2 has recently been released to all the Hardware 2 cars, but it is not the same level of autopilot as the Hardware 1 cars have. So this is where it starts to get confusing, and it's definitely confusing for owners, especially if you're not super into Tesla, because you know people saw even those that fully self-driving video they released, and they think because you can buy it as an option uh, when you buy your car to get full self-driving that they're going to get that, and even worse that you're going to get this enhanced autopilot, which is what people are currently paying for when they check the box for their car. Right. Well, and Tesla's sort of been like feeding this too by doing by rolling out updates periodically that actually do add features to people's cars. Yeah, and so they think, oh, I'm an, I'm paying for enhanced autopilot. It's five thousand dollars. And it's going to be able to drive on windy roads. It'll change lanes automatically, uh, all these great things. And it initially said it was going to come out in December of 2016. And it wasn't super clear on the marketing pages that it was not all of those features. And what we got was on December 31st, uh, Tesla rolled out to 1,000 cars in California, uh, a very limited uh, version of autopilot that allowed you to have the traffic to wear cruise control and the 35 mile an hour limit for the auto steer, which is sort of what keeps you in the lane. And so it's, it's definitely a far limited set of capabilities compared to, uh, the, uh, autopilot one cars. And so they're in this interesting transition period. It's, it's a little bit like the, I don't know, it's a little like the, uh, power pc intel transition where like <laughs> there was really good uh performance on the power pc software and then all these other programs had to be run in emulation and things weren't quite ready and you know that transition was probably a little smoother but it's a little bit tricky for folks because you've got two types of hardware out there two different types of software and tesla has to try and communicate to people what it's capable of 
Um, and so it's a little bit of a, of a messy situation right now, but the time from that hardware being released in October to the software coming out in the very end of December, but realistically starting in January, certainly a lot less time than it was for the first batch of hardware. Uh, now, obviously, they had a lot of work on the software over the past year, almost two years. But as you pointed out, uh, they're not using Mobileye anymore. And they're also using a new approach using neural networks like we talked about in a previous episode. And so they have a lot of new software writing to do. Um, and they need to make it work with this new system and new hardware and new GPU from NVIDIA. There's a lot of work to do. And, and they're uh, just now starting to make those changes on new cars that you would buy today. Is this their first time as a company rolling out a new feature that not everyone will get? Well, like is this, is a, this new to them that they have to somehow split their messaging? I think it's pretty, pretty new. Um, you know, they certainly have features like launch control, which are for performance cars that let you um, sort of stop the car and get the batteries warmed up and everything to really get the highest performance out of your ludicrous Tesla. <laughs> but, um, you know, that software is really... Um, I think it, it's not really a branch. It's not like some cars that are performance cars get it and others don't. It's just something that is only available in that type of car. Um, similar to how, you know, uh, Model Xs have Falcon wing doors and those have software that the Model Ss don't need, um, but they're still packaged in that same software. Right. So there's some, some components that are like that, um, but this is really the first time where there's such a drastic difference for the same named feature. You know, it would it would be as if, um, you know, one of the cars have one type of Falcon wing doors and the others have another, but they use the same software and they're not capable of the same thing. And it's called the same thing. I think that's the real challenge is that it's called autopilot, but it's not the same. And these new cars are, are being billed as having enhanced autopilot and they're not even as good as regular autopilot. So it, that's a little bit of a misnomer <laughs> to say something's the enhanced version and it actually is worse performing than the old version <laughs> gotcha gotcha oh so there's there's a there's sort of two problems right i guess is what you're saying there's the problem that eventually the hardware two cars are going to be more capable than the hardware one cars and then there's the sort of temporary problem where currently the hardware two cars are not even at parity even though eventually they will go beyond parity yeah, exactly. And that's a difficult set of things for people to keep in their mind all at the same time. Right. Uh, and also there's clearly among some of the uh, customers and fans concern that and regret in some ways that, you know, they don't they can't upgrade their uh, to hardware two unless they buy a new vehicle. Um, so a lot of people have asked Elon on Twitter and, you know, can I retrofit my car, all these things? And he sort of likened it to doing a, a brain transplant or a spinal spinal cord transplant you know <laughs> even if it were possible it wouldn't be advisable what is the uh what is the aftermarket like resale value on a tesla like how much of a hit would you take if you just sold your hardware one tesla and bought a hardware two tesla uh it's better than most cars of their class but it's still you know 40 ish percent after a few years so it it's it's significant it's probably a, a process too. You can't just go to Gazelle and have them send you a box to to pack it up in and get your money. 
Yeah, you'd have to, I mean, you, a lot of folks just go back to Tesla. Um, and I think they work with CarMax or themselves if they don't want to buy it themselves. Um, yeah. So Tesla could do some sort of buyback problem program if they really wanted to. Yeah. And I think it also sort of points to why uh, potentially more people are going to do leases um, and eventually why having a fleet of cars that Tesla runs uh, in the far distant future is uh, certainly advisable. Um, because then you could just get the latest car, like a rental car, you know, so it's just say about mo Oh, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> no, just like, just, you know, say what you will about rental car companies, but you know, you usually get a pretty new car. Um, so yeah, it's so one... it's getting into the mobility as a service. Yeah. Mobility. Um, so I think that, <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the challenges here is that, uh, they have a lot of software to write, uh, autopilot now is completely in-house. You know, they used to rely on Mobileye, which would take the raw feed of video and process it to identify lane markers, um, pedestrians, signs, a whole bunch of things that uh, they eventually were planning to use and continue to upgrade uh, and move along sort of the Mobileye path. But uh, after um, both the, the Florida crash and also uh, just some, some PR bad blood between the two companies, Tesla decided to pull out or Mobileye decided not to offer it. It's not 100% certain, but net-net, essentially, they do not have access to Mobileye anymore. And they're using their own software, and uh, they even have some of their own chip designers in-house now. Some former AMD and Apple folks now work at Tesla, and there's some rumors that they'll eventually do their own chip design, but they're currently using NVIDIA. Um, so they have a lot of software to write, and they uh, just made a really big hire uh, in the software space uh, by hiring a guy named Chris Latner uh, from Apple. And uh, he starts at the end of January. And uh, it was interesting how this came out because he announced on a mailing list of Swift, one of the program, a programming language which he uh, helped create, that he was leaving the project as the primary person, handing it over to the second-in-command, and that uh, he was moving on from Apple as well. And then less than six hours later, uh, there's a Tesla <laughs> blog post welcoming Chris Latner to Tesla. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, that's an amazing, amazing hire for Tesla and, uh, and pretty tough loss for, for Apple. Um, so can you tell us a little bit about like, what Chris Latner is known for, Mike? I know you're in the Apple ecosystem uh, as a, as a software developer. Yeah. As an iOS developer, this was, this was huge news, uh, in our, in our little world. Um, yeah. So, so Chris Latner is a guy that, uh, he was, oh man, I don't know what his exact title was, but he was like a VP level guy at Apple, uh, doing like all the developer tools. So the, all of the stuff that, uh, developers use to build apps, uh, on iOS, on Mac OS, um, uh, I guess on TV OS, uh, <laughs> but they, they all use a similar, set of tools to, to, to build these apps. Um, and he's a guy they had hired out of like right out of school, like 12 years ago, I think he was a, a PhD candidate at, uh, if I remember correctly, uh, UIUC university of Illinois at, uh, Urbana Champaign, I guess, is that the mm -hmm. one where, yeah. where the original like mosaic, um, yeah, mosaic browser, uh, that became Netflix, uh, Netscape, Netflix, yep. geez, I'm all over yeah. the place, uh, where, where that was come. So it's a, it's a, a pretty, uh, 
a prestigious school in the computer science world. Uh, but anyways, he was uh, doing a PhD, I believe, um, building up a compiler, essentially. It was something called LLVM, uh, which was... Um, so just to kind of step back a little bit, um, in case people aren't software developers... Yeah, what's, uh, what's a so, compiler? So basically, uh, for, for software developers, the... in day in and day out, we'll work in, in what are called programming languages. And these are the things you hear about, like Swift or Objective-C, or if you hear about like Ruby or Perl or Python, all these various things, Java, um, these are all programming languages. And um, they are meant to be human readable, um, even though they might seem kind of like inscrutable uh, code to outsiders. Uh, for for developers, they're the, the languages we work in and kind of their languages, just like, uh, you know, you would say like English or French or Spanish or Japanese or whatever. They're ways of, of communicating what you want uh, these programs to do. But the actual like computer chips that are inside computers don't understand these high level, what are called high level languages, the, the human level languages. So they understand very, very basic machine language. So you know, they they just understand really, really simple set of instructions that run really fast uh, on computers. And so there is this translation layer that happens uh, called compilers. And that takes the human readable code that we developers build day in and day out and generates machine code out of it that actually can be run on computer chips. Um, and so th this is all getting very probably uh, a little bit in the weeds, but the, the big innovation, uh, the reason why Apple hired this guy is he built something called LLVM. And uh, one of the problems with uh, compiling these languages down is that every you have to compile them down. Every, every computer chip, every CPU or GPU um, has different set of machine codes or maybe not every single one, some of them duplicate, but <laughs> there's a wide variety and they all have their own specific dialect that they speak. So you, if you want to take your one computer program that all your developers are writing and you want to ship it on like say the Mac and the iPhone and the TV iOS and any other systems, you have to compile a different, what's called binary for each of those. So essentially a different translation for each, that each of those chips would understand. And what was cool about what he built, LLVM, is that you would actually kind of compile all your your human code down into one sort of intermediate set of code. So it's it was something lower level than the human code, but it wasn't specific to any chip. And then there would be a, a layer in between that would then translate it further into each individual chip. So basically... The benefit being that, you know, as Apple releases new chips, like the iPhone 8 comes out or the iPhone 9, you don't have to recompile all your programs to run on those new systems. Uh, the You basically have all compiled already all the way down to the LLVM level, and then the LLVM level, Apple takes care of getting that new translation layer from this sort of universal language into whatever the specific chips want. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's like a intermediate. It's a compiler of compilers, and so instead right. of me as a developer compiling for a particular device, and then a new device comes out, and I'm like, ah, oh, I have to rerun my code to compile it, or it won't run on this device. Now I just compile it once, and then uh, it's going to be able to run on all these other systems, and I don't have to run it again. Right. It sort of anything. it sort of papers over the subtle differences in the different actual 
discrete computer chips. Uh, so that's why you'll see apps that are in the app store that might be like way out of date and you might download them and they still look like iOS 5 or something, but they still download and run on your brand new shiny iPhone. And this is a big reason why. Um, and it's very similar to what, uh, this was the promise of Java too, like Java code like compiles down into like Java byte code, which then write, runs in Java virtual machines, JVMs that run on the actual systems that run Java. So this is, this is not a new idea. It's just the, a lower level implementation of it. And I guess one of the things that's implicit in this is that means that he would have been very good at writing code for like a, a type of code that most programmers don't spend their day writing, like super performant, low level, very detail oriented, very uh, by the book, right? Like yeah. if you're writing compilers, you have to be the kind of programmer that knows how to like manage memory bit by bit and like how a particular Intel chip deals with its little quirks or how it runs a loop or how it runs an arithmetic function. And yeah. you don't get to deal with sort of these beautiful hello world app level <laughs> sort yeah, of programming languages. You, you're in the muck. This is like dirty programming, deep performance, crazy stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the machine level stuff. So it's all very uh, cryptic, I guess. You can, you can almost think of it like, like you buy a piece of furniture at Ikea, right? And you get the little instruction book that has like the high level instructions of what to do. Like, you know, put this dowel into this hole and turn this Allen wrench. You know, it's, it's telling you to screw in the, the screw. And your brain is essentially then compiling down into, okay, I need to take my three fingers and grip the Allen wrench. And I need to then, you know, twist my wrist with this much pressure. And those are not the kind of instructions, the, the level of detail that you'd get to in the IKEA instruction booklet, because that would be crazy. So it's, 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 you can kind of think of like the IKEA instruction booklet as being what us programmers will do all day long is coming up with that set of instructions at that level. And then the compiler level, in this case, the machine would be your brain and your body. And you're kind of translating that into really, really detailed instructions. And, you know, if you're left-handed versus right-handed, your actual discrete, like the, what your, what fingers you're using and how you're twisting your wrist would be completely different. And that's the kind of differences that you'd have. And what's really making my mind go, go kind of nuts about all this for Tesla is it means then that like, um, he, he is a type of person and works on teams that, you know, bugs are really problematic that if you have bugs in your compiler, that is not going to be something that a higher level programmer is going to be able to cope with. And so to your example, if you are trying to put the peg into, um, the, you know, into the hole for this thing and then you need to turn the key to the right and the compiler tells you to turn it to the left no matter how much you tell it to turn to the right it won't do it and so like you have to be crazy about making sure there aren't bugs in the code and testing and really sort of this maniacal kind of programmer and that seems to fit really well with his new title of vp of software for autopilot like the type of, th of thinking you need to try and reduce bugs and create a really stable platform for autopilot, which is life or death. I mean, compilers are, are like pretty much the closest you can get to the sort of intensity of it needs to work. Like it needs to be rock solid, right? Like that's sort of right. the, the, the 
besides writing code for the space shuttle, it's kind of <laughs> the closest you could get to a production level engineer having to do that kind of code. Right. Well, yeah, and it's it's interesting that you mentioned the space shuttle too, because there's it's a whole different type of computer programming that you're doing at that level. I mean, the space shuttle, or or at least the space shuttle in particular, if I remember correctly, has like three redundant systems, and they have like a voting thing, so all three are running at the same time, and then there's like some sort of control level that says, you know, all three of them, or at least a majority of them have to agree before you do things, so that if one of them starts spewing out weird results, it just kind of gets ignored, and yeah, you get into this this whole other level of um, seriousness, I guess, maybe seriousness isn't quite the right word, but uh, specificity that you have to work at, um, and and yeah, this is this is definitely getting into that into that level. Although I'm I'm really not sure uh, if the if the Tesla. So there's a, also a distinction between what's called like a real time operating system and just a, your average operating system like an iOS. And I, I'm not sure what Tesla is using. A lot of critical like industrial applications will use something called a, a real time operating system or RTOS. Uh, and it's just slightly different in that, you know, you can guarantee that things will be running in time. Whereas if you've ever, it, it's less noticeable now with SSDs, but if you have like a spinning disc in your computer, you might click on something and you get a beach ball for a while while it while it's doing whatever it is you asked it to. Uh, RTOSs would be something that would kind of eliminate that, where you'd be guaranteed that, you know, every tenth of a second you can do something. Yeah. But and I, I guess that's probably getting into way too high of a level of detail. No, no, no. And I think one of the other things that I was thinking about too was that um, with compilers and, and with the types of codes he's doing on um, programs he's writing for developer tools and supporting developers, um, performance is also another really critical uh, aspect where, you know, the amount of time it takes to compile something and the amount of overhead uh, or, or I guess the, there's sort of the ideal way that the, uh, the CPU or GPU could execute a set of instructions and the, the compiler is trying to get as close as possible to perfection of running your code without uh, doing it in an inefficient way and using those clock cycles as efficiently as possible. And right. different compilers are benchmarked against how fast they are at compiling and also how, uh, how efficient the code, they, the byte code they, they put out, right? Is that... Is that fair? Yeah, yeah, and it, I mean, you you can even get into um, how how they deal with all the memory too. So there's like the CPU, which is actually executing the instructions, and most of the instructions are you know moving bits around in memory. Uh, and uh, essentially, if you've ever done like a, I guess this would be analogous to doing like a a defrag on your hard drive, where the more you use it, the more kind of scattered it gets. And and uh, computer systems are very similar, where uh, as you're using memory. Uh, you'll be, you know, you'll put a string here, or in this case of autopilot, you might have an image go here and an image go there in memory. And then eventually, like behind the scenes, something is kind of cleaning up all the memory as like, you know, that image is gone, you have to clean that up. Uh, but you know, the memory is all contiguous. And, you know, bits and parts of it get used, and it gets messy as you go. And there's something called garbage collecting, which is a way of kind of reclaiming all of those unused bits. And I only mention this because that is another thing where garbage collecting is is part of this uh, operating environment where there are trade-offs involved. And uh, if you get into the sort of situation where you have to pause for a half a second while you garbage collect, then that's a really big problem in a in a system that's controlling a vehicle moving at 70 miles an hour. So there's all these like trade-offs you have to make. 
So not only did he do LLVM, he then, at the end of his tenure at Apple, created a new programming language right. uh, called Swift. And he, you know, uh, Apple has been using a derivation of C, uh, Objective-C, for since like the late 90s with the op, like Next acquisition. Right. And, it was, yeah, that was developed at Next and, and Apple got that along with them. Yeah. And so that's been the way that you write iPhone apps and Mac apps forever and then he decided he thought there was a better way to to do that and created swift um which is a higher level programming language and uh and so you know not only is he doing this super low level programming for compilers he's also creating a language to try and make it better for developers and for apple to be more efficient uh, and be able to sort of have a language that could run anywhere from servers to devices to embedded devices to you know, writing operating systems themselves. So pretty prolific uh, programming capabilities. Yeah, yeah. And, and designed to be safer, too, which is another thing that can be pretty important uh, in, in possibly in his future endeavors. Uh, like if you ever hear about uh, buffer overflows or these sort of things where you have these bugs that you usually hear about when you're hearing about hacking stories or something where this, people have put some sort of sent some bad input and caused the system to crash. And a lot of these things are caused by the C language uh, because C has, well, memory pointers and all this other stuff. But anyways, it's, it's not terribly important. But what really is important is that Swift was designed to eliminate that entire species of error. So you, you actually can't even make those errors with Swift. So it, it's safer to use, which uh, when you're, when you're, it's important enough when you're dealing with uh, iPhone apps and, and server web servers, but even more important when you're starting to deal with uh, autopilot systems. And I think one of the other things that's really important to, to note too is that having someone who is really good at writing this kind of software and creating tools for other developers to use both in the form of compilers or programming languages or actually software like Xcode or instruments or other software that you use in your development process is really important for increasing the sort of productivity, but also the um, quality, I guess, of the code that other people write. Because if every engineer had to write to the Intel processor or the, you know, A11 chip, uh, they wouldn't be able to get nearly as much done. And so these things both abstract away complexity and make it easier for people to, to focus on the business problem or the research problem or science problem or data problem, but also provide guardrails that keep them from doing, like you were just mentioning, things that unintended consequences that will cause the computers to crash or have problems. Um, and so as you think about what Tesla's doing, what do you think having someone like him on the team will help them do or, or why he's an interesting choice to lead the autopilot software team? Like what, what, what was running through your head or what, what do you think about him as the kind of person to lead that software project? Uh, well, I mean, he's just a First, like right off the bat, he is a like kind of uh, very prominent person in the developer world. So it's that's a big get right there. Um, I think that uh, what he's been doing at Apple, from from what I understand, is is a lot more a lot broader than his sort of low level compiler and programming language experience. He's kind of running the entire developer tools uh, area uh, at Apple or whatever they call it. Uh, so yeah, I mean, as, as Tesla yeah, brings he's responsible more things, for like 200 people, I think it was on his, um, right. So that's like, this is Xcode, uh, instruments, all of this stuff that if, if you've ever heard about that stuff, uh, it's the stuff that 
you know, all of the developers are using to make all the iPhone apps and Mac apps and everything else. Um, and then, you know, Apple contributes a bunch of that back out to the open source world. Uh, but yeah, it, it's, uh, as Tesla becomes, uh, even more of a software company, uh, as they're, you know, bringing the autopilot in house with getting rid of Mobileye and now, you know, partnering with NVIDIA for just like basically the raw hardware. Um, and then, uh, he has this, uh, as I understand it, a bunch of experience also working with, uh, OpenGL, which is like graphics programming. So the, the GPU chips that, uh, NVIDIA specializes in that have sort of, uh, that started out as the graphics rendering chips that, that mm -hmm. powered all of the amazing video games that are possible and have sort of taken on a second life as the, uh, engines for the neural networks and, and the AI revolution that we're uh, in the midst of. Uh, yeah, it, it seems like that is a, having someone who has a lot of experience building up that, that tool chain and that ecosystem seems like a, a huge deal for, for Tesla with their, I mean, they've been doing a bunch of software, but I feel like they've, they've really kind of stepped it up to the next level by bringing all that in house. Yeah, and so one of the things I, I was digging in a little bit more about about him and his relationship to Tesla in the past, and so a couple of things that are interesting. So he's owned a Tesla for a few years, so he has a Model S. So he's been monitoring them as a little bit as a customer. Um, <laughs> and he's so, and he apparently was well compensated by Apple then. Yeah, no, he was he was doing fine there. Uh, he'd been there for like eleven years, so I'm sure he's he's been doing pretty well. Um, <laughs> has Apple stock done well in the past eleven years? I think so. I think yeah. it's up a couple percent at least. Um, <laughs> He, he's quoted as saying, uh, autopilot is clearly incredibly important to the world because of its ability to save people's lives and increase convenience. And it's also a very, very hard technical problem. And my experience building large scale software uh, teams uh, will be useful. Uh, and he said, oh, of course, I've also been a huge Tesla fan for some time uh, when he was asked sort of why he decided to move on. Um, one of the other things he had said was he really wants the car to become an appliance. He doesn't think of himself as a car guy, uh, like a petrol head or anything like that. So he, he kind of just wants it to, to do what it's supposed to do. Uh, and he was saying, too, that he didn't think many car companies would need his set of skills. Um, but as he was talking with Tesla, it became clear that there'd be a really good need for his skills. Um, is he saying it, Oh, sorry, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, he... he um, yeah, he, he was talking about car companies. It, there's definitely been some discussion of Apple's project and why he didn't work on their project, but um, Project Titan. Yeah, their 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 uh, car project. Car project. Yeah. yeah, their their un, unrevealed car project. Um, but I think you know, uh, as as we all know, and I think it's maybe a little different out here in Silicon Valley companies. But even if your company is doing something else, it's very difficult to switch to different roles or increase your amount of influence if you're already known for something so oftentimes most people will just move to a new company uh, for a new challenge new people yeah and especially when you've reached the level that he has too because it's not just a matter of moving over to do something different it's you're leaving a pretty giant vacancy where you were too so it's like who's gonna why would they want to move you away when you're leading this department yeah exactly like from the company's point of view it's not it's not beneficial for you to move and so they're just waiting, they're playing chicken. And if you leave, they're going to have to solve that problem anyways. Uh, but Plus 11 years is, is like a lifetime to spend in Silicon yeah. Valley. Like I think most people probably end up staying, what, two, three, four years in one location? Yeah. 
Yeah. So he um, he also sort of characterizes his goal as a programmer to solve nearly impossible problems. Um, so he, he sort of classifies the LLVM. There was another project called Clang, which we didn't mention, but he's very proud of that as well. Um, and then Swift, creating a new programming language, like not many new programming languages come around that actually make any impact. Um, and Swift clearly is, is making an impact by being used on almost every iOS device. Um, and possibly Tesla's. And possibly Tesla's, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and so it's interesting that he, you know, the guy who was running Autopilot before, um, or at least was in charge of the team, was this guy named Sterling Anderson, and his roots were in robotics and, and MIT and all these things. Um, and he was in charge of the Model X before that. Uh, and now he's left the company. And so this is sort of a, a move to a, a full software engineer, no car experience, but experience leading large software teams and, you know, the type of engineer that will be well suited to the high performance type of code that needs to run on a car. You know, uh, Tesla in, in researching a lot of their job postings, C++ and C are requirements for Tesla. You know, your Tesla is not running PHP or Ruby on Rails. It's it's running C <laughs> or C plus um, plus, both from performance reasons uh, and also just because they don't have uh, they just they need they need to be able to use uh, a lot of libraries that are much much um, more performance oriented and scientific. Um, and right. so, well, and C compiles down to machine language, whereas higher level scripting, what are called scripting languages like a PHP or a Ruby actually compile down and run inside uh an, something on top of that so there's there's an extra level in between right yeah both for bugs to be introduced and more dependencies that need to be there and also less performance per uh you know instruction i guess um right so i think it's going to be a really good uh good for the autopilot team to finally have uh, someone like him, and and also I think to your point earlier, he's a, he's going to be a pretty big draw. I think there's right. This a is lot a of people want to work with him. Yeah. yeah, a lot of people would love to work on that team, especially knowing that he's in charge. Because one of the challenges working on a software team is who's the software leadership, and if you've got a business person leading a software team, that often doesn't end very well. Sure. <laughs> well, and even just a, a software person who might be a great software person that people just don't know about too. So this is. This is a, a, a prominent software person that people know uh, that has a reputation of being like a very accomplished, like uh, an engineer's engineer. Uh, and that's that's a big draw for for bringing in other engineering talent. Yeah. So it's going to be really interesting to see if uh, if Tesla uh, sort of has him be a figurehead. Uh, Apple had him on stage every once in a while at WWDC, their developer conference. I think he was on stage introducing Swift Playgrounds and a few of the other Swift-related projects over the past two years. Um, so he's clearly spoken publicly for, you know, Apple, the largest company in the world. So <laughs> Yeah, he introduced Swift, yeah. Yeah, it's possible for him to be out there talking about autopilot if, if Elon wants to reduce the amount of public speaking he does all the time, but it's not the most important bit. But um, He'll be starting in the end of the month, so uh, he or end of January. So uh, he hasn't started yet, but he will be there, and uh, it'll be exciting to see because obviously he, you know, he, coming into this job has to be really interesting because Elon Musk has said he wants by the end of this year to have a fully self-driving car from Los Angeles to New York. It's they've released some videos of cars doing 
pilots and tests in Palo Alto. But, you know, he must have asked some really hard questions about where they're at, what the code's like, what the team is like, all these things to really understand. He decided to take the job, which is some indication of uh, his assessment, right? If he thought it was a total cesspool, uh, he's probably not going to put his reputation on the line joining a company that he doesn't think can do it. He knows what their ambition is and is choosing to join. And, uh, and also, you know, making this actually happen is going to be falling to his shoulders now. I mean, he's going to be in charge of making sure these enhanced autopilot features roll out in a timely manner, that it continues to be safe, uh, that they continue to recruit more and more really good engineers to do it. And so I think it's all really strong sign. One of the reasons why hiring such a high profile person that people respect is, is more than just that person's technical capabilities added to your team. It's their ability and signaling for what it means because those people don't make rash decisions. Uh, right. And so it's sort of a, a, a reinforcement that Tesla will both do what they say and as a result of him being there have a higher confidence and higher ability to do that so it's sort of a double win for the company <laughs> um both from an outsider's point of view like like assessing tesla's chances of pulling this off uh both from his assessment of where they are now and then also when he's there you get higher confidence because he will be able to do things that certain other people couldn't do yeah, well, and and he's also an accomplished woodworker too, so maybe he can do something about the wood in the interiors. I don't know. I'm not yeah. sure how 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 much lateral movement he'll have. I'm sure he'll be pretty busy with the autopilot uh, <laughs> program, but uh, yeah, I, I'm I was super excited to see that uh, announcement, and you know, enhanced autopilot has just started rolling out to some of the vehicles uh, that have autopilot two uh, hardware two. Um, as of, a you know, the very, uh, January sort of, I think it was 21st, um, Saturday, it started rolling out to folks. Um, and Elon on Twitter had said that every two to four, every two to six weeks, there'll be a new update to enhancing autopilot functionality. And that cadence is a lot faster than it has been in the past. So something has changed about the way they're developing autopilot. Maybe they've um, gone agile. Yeah. Some, something about it because they, uh, you know, they, to your point earlier, they need to get to auto, they need to get to parity with autopilot one, and then they clearly need to surpass that. If they want to get to a demo of full self-driving with no human intervention from Los Angeles to New York by the end of 2017, you can imagine what that schedule has to be like if you're backing out from the end of the year. To well, and you're trying to also scale out uh, a production of a Model Three too. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, it's, it's intense, um, the amount of work they have to do. I mean, obviously, the software team, I would bet that the autopilot team isn't doing too much with Model 3. They're just making sure that those sensors work with the software, right? But what's interesting, sure. too, is they have, uh, they have the Model X, which clearly has a different height than the Model S and different positioning for the cameras. So one of the challenges that Elon mentioned on Twitter was that... Uh, some of the cars are going to have to come in for service because the pitch of the camera is not compensatable by the software currently. Um, and so there's some problems with the way those were installed. Um, but he said they're working on a software patch to basically do more cropping uh, to compensate for the actual pixels that are coming in. Uh, so it just sort of struck me like, oh my gosh, there's like, just, even just making sure that the raw video feed coming in is correct is under the purview of the software team right yeah, it's like yeah. so much to to work on and that's not you know the cars aren't even recognizing stop signs yet or 
traffic lights. So there's so much to do. It's kind of kind of ridiculous. And I think within the next couple months, we'll need to do another update because you know we'll need to do a check-in at least at the the middle halfway mark of the year to sort of assess where we think we're out where, where we are because uh, this would this would entail sort of the most progress ever on self-driving cars in a production system uh, to happen in this one year period. And we're almost a month through the year. So they've got 11 months. So it's gonna Chris, be a big get year. to work. It's going <laughs> to yes. be a big year. It's going to be a huge year. Huge. Tremendous. All right. Uh, cool. So I think those are the main things. Anything else about uh, Enhanced Autopilot or Chris joining the team? No, no, that's it. I mean, I think it's a, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, I imagine this is going to really help uh, building out their software team. Like you say, it's a, it's a strong, strong signal. Yep. As soon as, as assuming he stays there, if he if he takes off in six months, you might want to consider selling selling your TSLA stock. That would be a bad sign. So if he leaves, we will do an episode for sure. Um, <laughs> so if people have any other thoughts or questions, you can uh, message us uh, or contact us through Twitter uh, at the Tesla Show. Uh, on our website, we have comments theteslashow.com. And if you're into Reddit, you can find us and our episodes at r slash the Tesla Show. And with that, talk to you soon. All right. Bye.